0: Welcome, everyone. I am here with Ryan Macbeth, and we are going to talk about a topic I haven't talked about in about two months or so, but it's a perennial favorite, I guess. Again, it's a pretty depressing topic, but we're going to talk about the Russia-Ukraine war and go through updates and things like that. So, Ryan, welcome. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate it. So the first question is, is why on earth are you appearing on my show, given the size of your YouTube channel?
1: (laughs) You asked it, I said yes. What's funny is that I really want to get this video about General Shinseki out like today. I'd like to get this video out today. So this is holding me up
0: from actually getting content out to my
1: subscribers. So I hope you
0: appreciate it. Oh, I hope your subscribers don't come to my account and start attacking me for for making a video. By the way, I have a General Shinseki story. Oh, really? I'd
1: love to hear that.
0: And then I want to hear. Do you want to know who that is before we go? Or Yes. So he was the chief of staff of the army just prior to the Iraq invasion. And when he testified before Congress, they asked how many troops he would need. And he said on the order of several hundred thousand, which for those like you who served in Iraq, know that that was probably an accurate statement. Could you give
2: us some ideas to the magnitude of the army's force requirement uh, for an occupation of Iraq? Following a successful completion of of the war, uh, in specific numbers, I would have to uh, uh, rely on uh, combatant commander's uh, exact requirements. but I think how about a range? Uh, I would say that uh, what's been uh, mobilized to this point, something on the order of several hundred thousand uh, soldiers or are are probably uh, a figure that uh, would be uh, required. Uh, We're talking about post-hostilities, control over a a piece of geography that's uh, fairly significant with uh, uh, the kinds of ethnic tensions that could lead to uh, uh, other uh, problems. And so it takes significant ground force presence uh, to maintain a safe and secure environment, to ensure that uh people are fed that uh, water is distributed, all the normal uh, responsibilities that go along with administering a uh, situation like this
0: now, did you need that many troops to kick in the door and overthrow the regime? No, you did it just fine with the number of troops we had. However, to stabilize the country, the massive goat rope afterward is a direct result of not having enough Bodies on the ground because I think Absolutely. the Rand Corporation did a study. I think it was you need 25 to 1 for every person in that country. I mean, the Russians are dealing with that issue yeah. right now. I think they tried, wanted to do the exact same thing that we did with the Thunder Run in Iraq and you know, Baghdad and all that stuff. And they had limited aims, they just wanted to overthrow the Kiev regime. And then call it a day and, and move back. It turns out that they probably needed 800,000 troops to go in there. But anyway, General Shinseki story. Sorry, I, you haven't even had a chance to talk. I haven't even had a chance. <laughs> okay. So, Shinseki story. All right. So my apologies. It's going to sound a little pretentious. So, I went to a certain school and one side was on Boston, one was in Cambridge. Okay. So, General Shinseki was at the Kennedy School of Government. He invited all the ROTC students and veterans at the various graduate schools to have breakfast with them. Uh-huh. So we all sat down and had breakfast and I told him that I had been at the National Training Center. And we, you know, we talked about that because he was also a tanker like I was. And uh, it was a good, positive story. I don't. I forget how it came up, but he's just like, "Are you all familiar with von Manstein's Matrix?" And I'm like, "No, what is that? Are you familiar with it?" No, no, that's a new one. You'll appreciate it because you're just uh, making stuff up. But all right, no, no, no. no, no <laughs> yeah, I, I could go whatever on. Whatever you say, sir. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> sir. Well, so there was a German general von Manstein who also, by the way, led the German campaign to capture the Crimea in World War okay. II. Okay. But he was a very capable general. He was also the general who planned the attack on the Korsk salient, which most yeah. people don't know about Korsk, even though that was probably the most decisive battle in World War II. It wasn't really Stalingrad. It was that particular battle that really yeah. destroyed the German combat power. So he had this theory. He said that there are four types of officers. You'll appreciate this. If you have a matrix, okay, on the top, you have industriousness, Mm -hmm. right? So lazy or industrious. And then on the vertical axis, you have smart or stupid. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the officers who are smart and industrious, those are your staff officers they'll ensure that no problem is left untouched, okay? The smart but lazy, those are your general officers because they'll do the very bare minimum to ensure that the the job gets done.
1: Yeah.
0: The officers who are lazy and stupid, leave them alone, they're harmless. The officers that are industrious and stupid you need to call them out of the military as soon as possible because they will do the maximum damage <laughs> that you could possibly imagine so that's from manstein's matrix so yeah. shinseki your video will probably come out before this one but what's that going to be about and, so
1: it's uh, a couple of days ago i talked about the striker and i called shinseki he is and, 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 on and on for, for people who are name.
0: for people who are completely ignorant about military vehicles what's the Striker?
1: The Striker is uh, an eight-wheeled armored personnel carrier, or in some cases an IVF, an infantry fighting vehicle. And these were just donated to Ukraine. And General Shinseki pioneered this idea of the Striker. He called it the uh, IAV, the interim armored vehicle, after Bosnia when he was going, you know what, the world is changing. We need to have some kind of light vehicle that could deal with all these rush fire wars and self-deploy. And that eventually turned into the Striker, which is a pretty good vehicle today. So he he had a brilliant idea, and ultimately was taken down by a not so great idea of, of making us all wear a silly hat. <laughs> that's the
0: that's black the black, berets, the black berets the black berets. I, I remember that the Ranger that's... Regiment was not very happy about that. You know, I-
1: remember it differently, but it seemed like it wasn't the ranger regiment. The ranger regiment was like, okay, we'll just tan, and they went back into the woods to do ranger things. It was everybody else who was upset, and maybe retired ranger bros as well, you know, because I remember one guy who walked all the way from, like, Texas to the White House. I think he called, like, there was an internet site and all that. It was like the great presidential ruck, and he was going to walk all the way to the White House to give President Bush his black beret, and he got to the, and he was asking to stay at people's houses and stuff. So he rocked all the way from Texas to the White House, and Bush wasn't home. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know how that story ended, but, like, I don't want to call ahead. Uh,
0: th- those, those were wonderful days when that was the only controversy that we have. Now governments monitoring Twitter feeds and restricting people's First Amendment rights. But anyway, I won't, I won't add anything to that. Okay. Russia, Ukraine. So in November, General Milley mentioned that he thought the total number of combined casualties were around 200,000, spread between the two. The Russians, it's pretty clear how they're faring because a lot of this stuff is made public. But what about the Ukrainians? The Ukrainians are very tight on OPSEC. Sorry for the audience, op- operational security. So yeah. they never report what their casualties are. What's your view on the status of their So
1: it's probably right now? about one third ish of the Russian numbers. And that's not necessarily because you, Ukraine has better medical care or because whatever. It's mainly because, for the most part, Ukraine has been on the defense. And no. defense is easier than offense. People have argued with me about it. And I'm like, dude, it's in the freaking book. Here's another yes. YouTuber who made fun of me about, oh,
0: Ryan's wrong. I'm like, dude, I published all my freaking, you know. What like, was, was their argument? The I mean, like, it's standard three to one gods yeah. that you're supposed to, like, uh, the attacker against the defender, it's like three to one. So if it's an entrenched defender, it's higher.
1: Attackers always lose, oh, my God. What was it? 3% a day? I have to look up that figure again. So they, attackers lose six percent a day. Defenders lose three percent a day. That's just the, the way the math works. It might not necessarily be killed. It could be uh, injured. But attackers lose a certain percentage. Defenders lose a certain percentage. And that's just the way it works. Now that you could have things reversed. When <clears throat> I can tell you this: when Ukraine starts counterattacking, you're going to see those numbers flipped. And that's not. There's nothing no reflection of their combat ability. It's just you are moving out in the open against static defenses. If the people there stand and fight, you're going to see further casualties. And there are people who who said my theory or the the numbers I threw out was wrong, because look at Iraq, you know, during the initial invasion. Like, well, yeah, I won't say nobody fought, but
0: nobody fought.
1: Iraqi defenses just collapsed. There were some brave Iraqis who fought, at least in the Operation Iraqi Freedom. But for the most part, Iraqis just melted away. You know, There were not the huge number of uh, surrenders that we saw in the first Gulf War in Operation of the Storm. But for the most part, if you're doing an attack, it's 6% per day on the attacker side, 3% per day on the defender side. For the most part, for the last couple of months, Ukraine has been defending, except for a couple of very specific and actually pretty Pretty shocking, pretty shocking offenses, you know, especially in the Northeast. That blew my mind. They were able to move so far, so fast, in just a couple of days. What in the initial invasion, or no? But when Ukraine counterattacked across the Oskil River, they took a lot of land back really quickly. And Russia was oh, yeah, trying yeah. to take this one town. They finally succeeded. They they've been trying to take this one town for like a month. Is this Solodar? No, it's. I'm gonna pronounce. Every Sensitive time East. I I pronounce words, it's. Uh, I want to say Buck. Uh, oh, Buckmut.
0: Yeah, 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 Bakhmut. yeah. yeah, yeah. So Solodar. Speak English. So I'm from New Jersey, man. Like I start saying words. <laughs> like, that's all right. It could, it could it could be worse. You could be from Delaware, like me. <laughs> so. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. So I think Solidar was the the town that Wagner is fighting over. Huh. And that was the gateway or one of the key towns they need to capture Bakhmut. And then there's also all the political intrigue right now of the Soloviki, right? So you have the head of Wagner, who's claiming that they control Solidar. Meanwhile, they just fired the latest general who was in charge. First, it was Dvornikov. Now it was, I, I can't remember. It begins with an S.
1: pronounce it wrong. It starts with an S. He actually... He did one of the hardest things that you can ever do. But it was smart. he, He moved his forces over the Dnieper River. So he did a river crossing and passage lines. Two of the hardest things any army can do, he was able to do successfully. The only thing I can think of is that Maybe he was just getting too much power, or his troops like him too much, and and President Putin doesn't like that, and you're out of here. Or maybe you don't get rewarded for a retreat, you know. But he was able to save a significant number of his forces by doing a river crossing and then passage of lines, and that's not easy to do.
0: You know. Yeah, so I don't think, have I don't made,
1: think... Made one competent guy.
0: Again, I'm not trying to take sides at all on this. I'm just trying to be, as as you said before the call, you, you try to do is try to be objective because, look, the Russians are putting out propaganda, but we're putting out propaganda too, right? So it's not as one-sided, I don't think, as the—and by we, I don't mean you and I. I mean what our news sources are saying— But I think what you're seeing is in this particular case, the other thing I think he did, it's ruthless, but it was the correct strategy. I I mean, we would do it, but we would do it at the very beginning with our Air Force was that he was systematically targeting Ukrainian utilities and and things like that. Yeah, like that. That's exactly what you do to Mm -hmm. shut down your enemy. I think he probably got pushed out because I don't think it's for the retreat. I think in order to do something like that, he would have had to get clearance, right? You don't do something like that in the Russian army without clearance because, you know, you'll get shot. I think what happened was he just lost momentum. Like they weren't continuing to push forward. At the same time, you had the, the Wagner guy. Evgeny Prigozhin is playing this political game. The person who astonishes me that he's still around is Mm shuigu he is the most incompetent manager in all of russia but he's the most crafty politician i've ever seen it could be like rumsfeld in the
1: sense of you know he doesn't have any political ambitions and he's not a threat and once in a while maybe he makes an okay decision so why not keep him around because god if you Got some incompetent in there. <laughs> you know, that could be a threat. There's a book. I think it was called How to Be a Dictator. It was actually oh, yeah. a pretty Peter darn D- good Peter, book. Peter, well, there's a show on Netflix, too. It's oh, by yeah, um, to a D- and Pete Peter, Peter Dinklage. It was Dinkless. called The Dictator's Handbook or something like that. But, yeah, the, one of the things is you have to satisfy three criteria or three people. You have to satisfy the army. You have to satisfy the police. Then you have to satisfy your elite the you know, people in power. I mean, I would assume as long as money and privileges keep getting funneled to the people in power in Russia, then President Putin's in an okay place. The second people who are in positions of power don't get their their checks, then they start thinking about, like, how can we change a situation so that we can start getting that money flowing again? I, I guess that's occasionally why you have purges, right? That's why you, you you kick people out because you don't want someone getting ideas in their head that they can. I guess yeah, this was in the book too. Might not be a bad idea to once in a while just purge anybody, you know, just to keep. Yeah, just, just random people to keep. Just, just randomly purge someone who's elite, just just because. So. So Jurassic. Yeah, go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, probably one of the better movies to watch. And you, know, you can find it on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, pay the four bucks for the rental. It's called The Death of Stalin. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I've
0: seen that. Yeah.
1: I mean, brilliant freaking movie. And everyone speaks English in it. No one tries a Russian accent. They just speak their normal English accents, which actually kind of reflect the diversity of Russia's accents in a way as well. That was so brilliant that movie when everyone's plotting against each other, you know, trying to figure out how they're gonna get on top, and everybody's watching each other. Just I can't even imagine a life like that. You know,
0: you work in corporate, and you'll you'll get a good idea.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I do work in a corporate world, and I I, I love my job. And I think the reason I've been successful in my corporate life is the same reason why I was successful in the military. And that's for some reason, everybody likes me. I can never figure that out. Why do people like me? But I've always said, oh, Ryan, he's a good guy. And I've coasted like my. I was the most mediocre soldier and NCO. But it was one of those things where I could run too, at least (laughs) I used to be able to run. Like now I still run, I'm a lot slower, but I was that guy, I could run and everybody liked me. And now, you know, just just by being in the military, you know, I was that guy where, like, you know, hell, we need to pick up the vehicles. Oh, send Ryan. And I would get, mm-hmm. I would bring a box of donuts and like, hey, Matt uh, Sargent, hey, you got those vehicles ready? Like, hey, I brought you some donuts. Oh, thank you, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll help you out. Hey, you got a chalk block I can have because I think we lost one of our. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll hook you up, sir. That was my whole career. I was not that good of an NCL, but for some reason, everybody liked me. I actually I lost out on a mission because of that. And I, my company commander, they were doing some kind of PSD mission, you know, and I was like, "Can I get on that mission?" And we we're going to go to like Blackwater and get trained at Blackwater and defensive driving. And my commander, he actually sat me down and said, "You're not being picked for this mission." And I was like, "Why?" And he said, "Well, because we need leadership, not likership."
0: We need leadership, not what?
1: Leadership, not likership. So I got by my whole career because everybody liked me, but I guess he was afraid I wouldn't be able to make tough decisions because I wanted people to like me, and everyone did like me.
0: Yeah, I'm like the opposite guy. Like, it's just like there's a (laughs) raging inferno. People are on fire. There's like seven people throwing gasoline onto it. We need somebody to fix it. Sean, do it. And then I just go in there. The military was more standardized, but usually when there's a crisis, particularly when former like military officers are out in corporate, we're used to dealing with chaos. So when there's chaos, they throw us in. But you don't make any friends when you're just making decisions and you're just you're making the right decisions. But everybody's just like, why can't I hire 15,000 people? Well, because we'll go <laughs> bankrupt at 5,000 people like and and um, you laugh but that that's a real example yeah so i'm just like the hammer and people don't like yeah. the hammer so you were an officer yeah yeah uh, uh, did you think did, you, did, you, did you, you you thought i was enlisted I, 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 no, look I, see i'm a, i've been working in corporate i'm a chameleon see <laughs>
1: That was never my jam. All I wanted to do through my whole career, I never wanted to be an airborne ranger, space shuttle, door gunner. I just wanted to to shoot toes and be with my guys and do cool stuff and, like, not have that much responsibility, you know? Like, that was, I got to tell you, squad leader, squad leader was an okay. Like, best rank was team leader or section sergeant. Because you, you get just enough responsibility that people take you seriously, you know, but not so much responsibility that you're signing for everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And that was a great
0: freaking life,
1: you know, because you only had to worry about you. You're single, you know. You live in the barracks, and you, you you just you didn't have a lot of concerns in your life, you know. You're not worried about oh, I'm gonna make rent. I mean. You have to worry about your car payment, your internet bill, car insurance. But that's pretty much it. The rest, you just bank. Right? And yeah. i not like an officer where it's like, oh, I gotta go down and do weapons count. I gotta do a serial number count, you know. Like it's a
0: great freaking life. Yeah, it was. I mean, there are things I loved about it. Like, mm-hmm. well, probably at the time I didn't love it, but now that I think back to it, because I was look, I was at the NTC the whole time. I was never deployed, so I was Op Four, and yeah. man, that was fun. That was it was it was great.
1: It was great. Yeah. I remember sitting in Germany, like, hey, let's start a fire. That way the uh, Blue Four can see us and we'll get killed so we can go back
0: (laughs) and get warm. (laughs) We would do things like, let's put a six-pack of Coca-Cola in the middle of the road and set up an ambush on the side so that Private Snuffy stops his Bradley and then we just kill him. We would do stuff like that all the time. I I mean, we would do all sorts of deception stuff. I was a master of it. It I loved it. We would buy those blue paper plates of these blue like paper bowls Uh at Walmart that you can get. You know what they look like, right? Landmines. So we would we would buy those, put rocks on them, and set them out in regular yeah. patterns. And then we would set up ambushes on the side. So we would have fake minefields. you yeah. put engineer tape across the road. and People would stop, and then yeah, we would well, like to the platoon. That's actually
1: in the book <laughs> to have fake minefields. You can. Yeah. I'm actually doing a video about landmines right now. I I've just finished the script. I'm going to start shooting the video once I'm done my Shinseki video. And one of the things you can do is you can do a phony minefield where you know you dig up a little bit of dirt. Now it only works if your adversary has become mine aware. So if your adversary is if they've already hit mines, then it'll work. If they haven't already hit mines, it won't work. But you can definitely you can take a dish plate, spray paint it put that disc plate down on the road, it would stop me.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hey, we well you stop. have to stop. You have to stop. You you, you know, yeah. now you might yeah, the first thing you should do like like right before you stop is like, all right, where where I've are they? Now. Yeah, where are Zero they? Five like, and 25. For, for, for for your
1: audience who doesn't know if you ever stop your vehicle. One of the first things you do is you look out, you know, look out zero meters, look out five meters and look out 25 meters. Make sure you're not
0: stopping on top of a roadside bomb. Yeah, yeah I, I I very fortunately did not have to confront that that challenge. That's a bonus. You know,
1: and you don't really realize it's the same retirement, right? Like whether you've been deployed or not, you don't get like, a bonus if
0: you deploy to combat yeah, but you deserve more respect and honor for the crap that you had to go through. Like, I, I just got to play Russian for four years, whatever. So <laughs> I
1: smoke cigarettes and I'll be, I, you know, like pretty much it. Like, I, hell, I'll be smoking right now. My apartment would allow it. It's one of the, you know, I used to have a a house in New Jersey. I retired in 2014. I I had a, I bought a house. It's like a 1,200 square
0: foot ranch. Well, first of all, first of all, why are you, you're you're not living in New Jersey? I live
1: in Maryland now. I moved moved to Maryland because I got a job at a hedge fund as a manager of software engineers there. And now I work for a defense contractor. Doing work where we, uh, it's called ISR, where we find the bad guys, and then the mm-hmm. army can decide what to do with the bad guys once we figure out where the bad guys are. So it's not
0: Palantir, is it?
1: No, I don't. I, don't, I, I okay. mean, people can get away I don't hide yeah, who I yeah. work for, but yeah, but
0: you shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't either, talk about you know? it.
1: It's, it's, uh, and work knows, what I do. Yeah, Palantir. No, I don't work. They, they they're doing some interesting stuff. What's well, kind of neat where technology is now. I mean, one of my visions for the future is what I see is I see tanks turning into infantry fighting vehicles with maybe an accompanying semi-autonomous vehicle that has a long high-velocity gun. We can identify vehicles right now. Like that's trivial. To have the computing power to identify, you can you can put that on a server. That's easy. You can do software today where you can say, just find me white trucks. And software can say and scan an area and just send you a notification when they see a white truck. Not a white car, not a white SUV, not a white van, white truck. So you think about it, having some kind of semi-autonomous vehicle, a tank that has software loaded on it that knows what adversary vehicles look like on thermal and on regular daylight, that certainly adds an advantage because if you have it in some kind of semi-autonomous mode, it can identify those targets and can send those targets to an operator
0: for the operator to decide whether to service those targets or not. And it's probably more accurate than an operator too. How do you handle deception turrets? Like fiberglass turrets that are shaped exactly like...
1: The same way you would handle it if you're uh, a regular operator. You make mistakes. <laughs> like that's, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've talked to people about using robotics to engage targets before. And one of the arguments is, I want if the robot makes a mistake. What if a human makes a mistake? At least the robot can see in multiple spectrums,
0: right? Yeah, so if you yeah I, I, think, robot, I think that's the answer, right? Yeah, it's just the... A- I mean, so
1: one of the things, like missiles, those uh, Stinger missiles, Stinger missiles actually work in two spectrums, IR and ultraviolet. So not only are you going after the engine on IR, you're also looking at the ultraviolet shadow of the plane, and a flare that someone pops out looks totally different. So older missiles might be confused by a flare, but more modern missiles, when they're using two different spectrums, using IR and ultraviolet, they go, oh, wait, that flare doesn't look like what I was going after before. So We're going to keep going after this thing. So if you have a a tank or a semi-autonomous vehicle with a long gun, and this semi-autonomous vehicle is constantly looking for targets, constantly looking for threats, and multiple spectrums, thermal, IR, ultraviolet, and regular daylight, right? It's looking for threats in four freaking spectrums. That's three more spectrums than a human can look. It, It might be able to go... Well, on thermal that looks like a T seventy two, but on ultraviolet it's really just a BMP with a vismod. You know, maybe throw that as an error. Let the human decide what they want me to
0: do. So now here's another. Yeah, yeah. yeah, by the way, I'm thinking I'm thinking like a op four guy now. So what if that vehicle is hiding in a school?
1: School's a valid target. (laughs) Kids in the school. No, I'm sure, there is not. Look at the darn Geneva Convention Law of War. There is nothing that says a school isn't a target. Mm. Nothing. A school is just a building. If there's kids in it, yeah, don't do that. There's nothing wrong with parking a tank in a school. There's kids with it. in that's it? One the, that's one of the things that I talk about with disinformation. People say, look, the Ukrainians are putting, they're feeding people in this school. It's a building, man. If there's yeah. kids in it, yeah, that's a problem. Maybe don't do that the building that's it so, all right. so they park it in the school well that's why you have a semi-autonomous mode where now you have a human that's in the loop that can say oh wait that's or you can or you can do gps geofencing where you say hey anything yeah. that's inside this geofence don't target yeah. you do that we do that now patriot missiles do that now or you can say hey anything here don't fire at anything inside this sector we had that in the 80s that's easy We have robots. If you look at the Aegis system, naval warfare happens so fast Mm -hmm. that you can't have a human in the loop. And when you turn on the Aegis system and say, go at it, boys, those missiles are coming out and the, the phalanx is firing. And There's no human in the loop on that. They're just like, all right, well, you can think a lot faster than me. We've had killer robots since the 80s with the Aegis system. We're just moving them on the land, that's all. You know, maybe the consequences at sea are a little bit different because there's no school bus at sea. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah there's nothing out there. Right. There's nothing out there. Now, I'm sure you're going to get a bunch of Navy guys going, well, technically, the humpback spotted whales. <laughs> Man, there's nothing out there. Like, I'm surprised these ships don't carry around dirt, so that way you can, like, dig a little foxhole. They seem really unprotected.
0: Yeah, that's the, that is true. All right. Back to Russia, Ukraine. Okay, so Gerasimov, I think, is now – some in the media are spinning it like it's a demotion. But remember when they did that to Petraeus? Obama sent him over to run Afghanistan after he was in charge of – something else but it wasn't really a demotion it was kind of like we have a raging fire we need somebody to go and fix it i I think that's kind of what this is but i don't know i
1: don't know that's that's a good question i i don't remember petraeus being i mean i know what he did later (laughs) that was an issue
0: but i don't remember petraeus being uh humiliated like that but it wasn't a humiliation i'm trying to remember exactly how it happened Maybe it was Ash Carter was telling the story, but Obama wanted somebody to go fix this. It was like a presidential thing. Like Obama wanted him by name. And people in the military were like, you realize that's effectively a demotion, right? And it's just like, look, I I just need somebody who can fix this. So it wasn't intended as a demotion. It was just where he was in his career going in like, leading the afghan mission was not it's well, he like wrote not
1: the book on coin
0: i mean he literally wrote well, that, the book on coin <laughs> like uh, that, that, well that's why i think obama chose him yeah. right because he was the right guy to do it but yeah anyway yeah. i feel like it's one of those sort of it's just like all right we need to put an adult in charge of huh. this thing and i don't know i don't know
1: i don't know if we got the right adults i mean this, i don't know how you fix this I don't know how Russia can be successful with the tools that it has and the troops that it has because training is a huge component of anything. I've spoken with people who say, oh, the Russia's problems they don't have an NCO corps. Well, they do have an NCO corps. It's It's mainly junior NCOs. They have the Starshina, which is kind of like a combination of 1st Sergeant, Platoon Sergeant. That's about the closest that I would have been in the Russian Army, Starshina. But they don't really, for for the most part, they don't have this mid-level E6s and E7s, Staff Sergeant, Sergeant 1st Class, that can pass on knowledge. Because in the Russian Army, if you want to be a leader, they encourage you to become an officer. If you want to be a technical professional, you become a warrant officer. So those are really just the two paths. And they were trying to kind of make an NCO Corps, but it's this mid-level NCO Corps that knows how to do everything. i often say, right. like, what did I do in the army? I was a Burger King drive-thru manager. That's what I was. The lieutenant is the manager of the, of the store. The lieutenant's the store manager. Or actually, maybe the captain's the store manager. The lieutenant's the shift manager, and I get to run the drive-thru, right? And if the lieutenant has to leave, then I, I can run the whole store while he's gone. Right. That's kind of right. what I meant. <laughs> but without that mid level NCO knowledge, there is a huge freaking problem because you're not passing on. It's that informal chain of command where all the time I would sit down a new NCO or a new private and be like, all right, let's do some hip pocket training. What do you see here? What, or how would you go through this? Or hey, grab that toe. I want to give a quick block of instruction on how you load this thing. And if you don't have that dad of the platoon around and mom is taking care of everything, that's a big problem. You you can think about Russian platoons are a lot like single mothers. Mom is taking care of everything. (laughs) The lieutenant takes care of everything. And there's really no platoon sergeant that can help out, you know, and and be like, all right, we're going to do some training. And I don't know how you fix that without years of training. If Russia had taken some time if they had taken a year to do training oh you know the other issue one huge problem that their army has russia really has no equivalent of miles here That's why all of their exercises are
0: for for folks, for folks who have no idea what we're talking about. Miles gear is like multiple integrated laser engagement system. Yeah. Laser tag. Yeah. It's it's like laser tag for the army. So except you can shoot people out for like kilometers.
1: Yeah. So uh, that would, so miles gear and you use this as all for it's a military laser engagement system. And you, when you fire blanks out of your rifle, a laser emitter that is attached to your rifle, fires as well, and people who are wearing a harness can detect hits. So if you're hit, your harness will beep, and you have to take a key out of your own weapon, which deactivates your weapon, put it in your harness, and that turns the harness off. If you ever watch the movie Heartbreak Ridge, the early version of Miles was in that movie. I mean, we have Miles for tanks, for Bradleys, and a soldier with a rifle can shoot at a Bradley, and it won't affect the Bradley, but if the commander steps out of the Bradley and he has a harness on, it'll affect the commander.
0: And also on those tanks, there are radio signals that are sent back to a massive display. They call it the Star Wars building at at the National Training Center, where you can actually see icons in real time moving across the screen. And when they die, where you're hit, if you're hit in the front, you're less likely, the tank's less likely to die. So there's a lot of things that are involved. The one thing it didn't test, though, for people who were with me, at the National Training Center, who subsequently deployed, is there are some bad habits that you learn in training like that. And that is, you are not used to the kinetic effects of the weapons that you're firing, right? So if you're in a small village or, you know, where there's buildings and you're shooting at people in the buildings, right, you're going to have the ricochet of like plaster. But again, I've I'm you know, speaking from, I'm just relaying, I haven't experienced this, but yeah. the kinetic effects are what you don't train for. Yeah,
1: that, that's true. But Russia doesn't really have that system because it's expensive. And that's why you see them doing all this Patankin training where you know there's this whole set piece battle where they move forward and they're firing their guns. And that's very good training for visiting dignitaries. Mm-hmm. Not so good if you're actually trying to learn tasks and learn where you're failing. So I think just the lack of having miles gear is a huge problem because you you can't mentally put yourself in that situation where, oh, this is what it's like when we get flanked or this is what it's like when I do an attack and I forget to put out near far side security or left, right security. So that is a huge problem. And if Russia had trained for maybe a year or two first before entering Ukraine, I, I don't want to say things would be different. I think things would be harder. I think that maybe they would have gotten to Kiev and then just face <laughs> just Molotov cocktails and, and an insurgency that would have made Iraq look like Romper Road. Like, these people just do not want to live under Russia. They don't want to live under Russia.
0: Like- well, I'm pretty confident the plan was never to seize territory. The plan was to do a decapitation strike. I don't even think the Germans in World War II entered yeah. EVE. I think they just surrounded it and and moved on because it's a massive city. And just going block by block with the combat power that the Russians put into the country is just not well, right. going to work. A
1: decapitation strike, put in a new leader, and then, you know, three, profit, right? Now I have a guy, I, if you're President Putin, it is terrifying having a think about NATO. People talk about, oh, they're going to join NATO. And if only they didn't join NATO, and we had an agreement that no one would become NATO. Like, number one, every country has a right to enter any treaty they want with any other country. But number two, NATO doesn't randomly just attack countries. Usually there's a reason first. And people have talked about, well, Russia is now surrounded by NATO. Like, we got nukes in the freaking Barents Sea 15 minutes away from, like, we don't need to put nukes in, in Ukraine. We can hit you from the ocean right now. So that, that's kind of a weird argument. I think the Putin's fear was that you have this budding democracy. I mean, Ukraine isn't perfect. There's corruption in Ukraine. I've talked with guys who've come back bit. to Ukraine who've been like, dude, that place is jacked up. <laughs> like I yeah, the, the, like,
0: the, the thing i've heard the thing i've heard is only about a third of the money the 50 billion dollars that we put in that country actually gets to the front
1: i don't know what the number would be i've talked with guys from the international legion i've donated a significant amount of money to this one particular i'm not going to talk about it because i don't want to get the Targeted. Targeted, right. But I've donated through Help Is On the Way UA, which is run by a guy named uh, Johnny Rogers, who's just a dude in the van. <laughs> and he, he's able to get that money to the people who need it. But some of the, the people in the international legions they don't necessarily get the equipment that they need. Some do, and some don't. And like I was talking, well, there's
0: to- two branches, right? The, the one that's controlled by Ukrainian intelligence was the one that had those two Polish mobsters in charge. And then there was, I think the other one, I haven't heard anything negative about, but that one was like, these guys would just send people to their deaths while they would just sit kind of in in the back. So you also have to be very specific about which group, which foreign legion you join.
1: Yeah, so I think I'm supporting the other one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but, it sounds uh, like it. Uh, you would have heard about it if, if you didn't, I think. Yeah, so.
1: I, I. well, actually, a couple of months ago, I I actually developed a tool. It's a plastic tool that you could use with an N-law to determine whether you were too close to fire the in law or not. It was essentially a ranging tool because I've seen people fire the in law from buildings at tanks, and the in law just bounces off because it hadn't armed properly. And I'm like, this is a physics problem. So, if you know the height of the average Soviet era apartment building, it's just a tool. It's literally like a protractor with an arm. And you take a cartridge, a 5.54 cartridge or a 5.45 cartridge, pop it into one as the pivot, and then you set your floor with the other cartridge. So, I might be on the third floor, and you just point it at where you want to shoot, and there's a go, no go gauge. And if it's go, you're good to fire. If it's no go, you're not good to fire. So I actually 3D printed these things, and we got them over to Ukraine. And actually, we found out later that Ukraine is 3D printing. Eh, what they could really do is laser-cut metal. So these things were being used there. But before I did all that, I actually contacted a lawyer. And I told him, I'm like, is it okay if I, you know, and I talked with the lawyer. And the lawyer's like, well, it's just, it's a
0: geometry aid.
1: It's not a weapon. It's not even I mean, going was, on the weapon.
0: It's just an it's aid just, to determine Gee, what, what about the Logan Amendment? Does that impact? I actually that at haven't
1: all? heard of that, but my lawyer didn't say anything. So I think I'm
0: okay with that. But yeah, it doesn't. I think it, it it's basically what like when Millie called the Chinese, that violated the Logan Amendment. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think I'm okay with this. It was literally a tool yeah. that had an arm. That hung down like this, you know, just a tool. And you go like, all right, turn it like this. All right, well, the arm is pointing to go. The arm is pointing to no-go. I did everything that really anybody with a little bit of experience could have done. We actually had another version, Beacon, make out of cardboard for people who are in Mariupol. Although,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't really need it after it got out. So. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah, that that
1: was one day. There's going to be a movie made about that, right? Like that.
0: I mean, they they were all captured, right? Were any of them released through prisoner exchanges? Do you think some were?
1: I think some were. I, I think some some also died in that. I had a video about it where uh, Russia said it was a high Mars strike, but I proved that what Russia really did was lock the doors and throw incendiary grenades into a building full of prisoners from Mariupol, which. Oh, you didn't watch that video. Oh yeah. Wait. So
0: they they already surrendered and
1: oh, yeah, they did that. In a building. They're in like a barracks. That, it was like a warehouse. The Russians just put a bunch of beds in there, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, they threw a bunch of incendiaries in the building let these guys burn, and then said it was a HIMARS strike. HIMARS has a two. Well, at least the M31 is a 200 pound warhead. <laughs> there wouldn't be a building after that. Like, we saw what High Mars does to a building in that vocational school that was attacked a couple of uh, weeks ago, or last week. So when High Mars rocket, if it hit, like, an aluminum frame building, like, it just would have been nothing left. That was actually a tough one to get past the YouTube sensors, because there were, like, skeletons, you know? I had to, like, not show the skeletons that's that's tough getting past yeah, when,
0: when i go to post-production and i don't have all the bells and whistles i normally have on these things it'll be because you scared the crap out of me right
1: it's run. it's uh you know it, it's it's in a way like i get it
0: so the get- yes advertising
1: so, so i understand they want to make money and they make money i make money when they make money you know, and the more money I have, the more money I can donate, more money I can put towards production to buy lights or buy cameras or buy this microphone or get on a plane to fly to wherever to cover a story about the 11th Airborne Corps, right? Or the 11th Airborne Division. So I understand why YouTube has the rules they do. The evening news shows a lot worse. Yeah. So, I don't know why you can't just have a checkbox that says, like, hey, uh, this is violence, but it's in a news context. So, advertisers that don't want that, there's plenty of companies that would I mean, shoot firearms content gets demonetized in a certain way. Like, if, if you're doing firearms on a range, you're going to have to select that. And then that, that's when you get ads for holsters or CCW insurance
0: or whatever. Right. Speaking of arms. So I saw this this morning, but I think it was on a Ukrainian website. So I don't. It's probably about 50% true. Okay. So according to that website, over 100% of all the Russian tanks that entered Ukraine have been destroyed, at least in terms of numbers. I've entered it since the beginning of the invasion, right? So there would have been resupply and things like that. And something like 45% of tanks in the entire Russian arsenal are gone. I know well, that's not, well, the 45%. There's no way of
1: knowing that. That means every single tank that was in the initial invasion has been destroyed.
0: or Okay. Well, to be, to be clear, the, the same number. So if you went in, I mean, it's pretty you know, easy numbers. If you went in with a hundred tanks and you resupplied 200 tanks during the course of the invasion, 100 tanks of that mix had been destroyed.
1: (laughs) So I have to plug Covert Cabal for a second here. Yeah. These guys did. I will send you the link so you can show it to your subscribers. So so
0: say it again, because I think you got cut off. Covert Covert Cabal. Covert Cabal. Covert Cabal.
1: And I'll send you the link to their specific video where they actually use satellite footage to show Russian tanks disappearing from Mm -hmm. marshalling yards or from storage yards. And that's proof that there's not enough, and they're taking them, and they're either refurbishing them or sending them directly to the front lines. And I think their conclusion was that a third are operational, a third can be refurbished, and a third are only good for parts. So, I think they said Russia has about 22,000 tanks, and so that means 22,000. It's a little over 6,000, 7,000 tanks, probably, or in the destroyed order. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, a third. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 7,000 tanks. tanks. 7,000.
1: Yeah. Oryx, I mean, Oryx has been great.
0: Seven seven point 7.145 something to be exact, <laughs> just, just so you know.
1: Yeah, Oryx has been great about tracking each individual vehicle that's been destroyed. And they're pretty good at figuring out which vehicles, which based on whole numbers and things like that. So I think they said about 2,000 of these things have been destroyed. Everyone keeps saying Russia's running out of equipment, but they've been running out of equipment for the past six months.
0: Mm -hmm. although the tanks that they're throwing in are now t-62s for the most part right
1: i have not seen that i have not seen that i think one of the things we're seeing right now is that we're we're really not seeing the the footage that we've seen before because i think both sides it's the winter and fighting in the winter is hard Mm -hmm. Uh, i was a video just a couple of days ago i saw and i was going to do a video on it but you know I, i can't do a video on everything you know, like, and uh, this one guy—he was wearing women's boots. Like, his maybe
0: it was just the best, and and, and not because he had a fetish. But
1: because no, I don't that's think probably so. all they had. I, I right, had to because he just needed warm boots, and he maybe his feet were just smaller than normal, or a woman donated them. I don't know, but he was wearing women's boots. I joined the military in 1994. And I, I recall when we started going into Iraq and not everybody had armor. Afghanistan wasn't a problem. It was Iraq. Not everybody had hard body armor, the interceptor armor. And that would turn into a huge scandal because people were buying their own armor, the dragon skin armor. You know, the controversy with yeah. the dragon skin armor. People are buying their own stuff. Are they allowed to wear dragon skin armor? Are they not allowed to wear dragon skin armor? People make fun of the Russian tanks with the cages on top. Never saw footage of us in, in Iraq welding, you know, welding scraps or humvees, putting sandbags yeah. on the floor. You know, yeah. it, war is hard, and so we had supply problems too. We definitely had supply problems. You know, not everybody getting the right armor, not having armor kits or these. I can't make fun of the Russians for that. They're they're just trying to do what they need to do.
0: But, well, yeah, I don't want to make fun of any side. I just want to yeah. try to be objective because individual Russian soldier—they're just kind of thrown into this thing. Now, the ones who commit atrocities, they deserve all the the scorn and death yeah. that they experience. But same thing on the Ukrainian side—if they're committing atrocities, which. I would be surprised if they weren't in some instances, but they're very good at locking down any anything that's negative. But I haven't heard any, they, anything.
1: They, so one of the things that they're kind of operating under is that I think everybody knows that NATO will support Ukraine as long as it's politically expedient. The millisecond it's not politically expedient, you're done. I mean, you look at Afghanistan. It was no longer politically expedient.
0: All right. Well, no, yeah, that, by yeah. the way, I think the execution on that withdrawal there is the reason Ukraine is fighting for its life right now.
1: Really? Well, what's your theory on that?
0: There's no doubt in my mind that that went into Putin's calculation huh. where he saw that happen. And he's just like, oh, the American people aren't going to be willing to risk the lives of American soldiers for Ukraine, particularly after this big debacle, not only that, the U.S. military is not as competent as it had shown itself to be in all the times prior. And I think his miscalculation was the botching of that withdrawal was not a military failure. It was a political failure, right, in terms of which resources to close. Like, why would you keep Kabul... Why would that be the last airport to close? Like, wouldn't you keep Bagram for as long as possible because it's isolated? You and the rationale was, I believe the reason is, and mm-hmm. you know, folks can comment below if I'm I'm wrong. But my theory around that is, it was just like, no, we have to have this many troops. You can't have that many troops. You you need six thousand. I'm making numbers up, but you need six thousand troops. In order to have Bagram, but you only need 3,000 with Kabul. So just do it. And I believe the commander in the region of U.S. forces resigned the summer before that happened because he saw politicians and political appointees making – I was going to use a word that probably would have gotten me demonetized. So like differently abled decisions, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like it's just – uh, anyway, uh, you'll get me on a go. Well, like, nah, I'll take this nah, nah. off track, but nah,
1: regarding I, I maybe, that, yeah, that that's a tough. One. I'm not I, saying I, that was no. that
0: was like the, the. I'm not saying that was the decisive reason in his calculus, but that was one input into his political calculus maybe about I, I gauging just, U.S. I, I response. I talked
1: with guys in the 82nd who were at the Kabul airport, and I don't know. I didn't get the sense that they were unwilling to fight at all. Like, if no, any, no, no,
0: I'm not saying that at all, well, what yeah, right?
1: no.
0: yeah, what I'm saying is it was not a military failure, it was the choices that the politicians imposed on the military, no. like at the strategic or at the operational level, right, so. Yes which airport to close, which like Kabul. I mean, imagine yourself in the 82nd Airborne. You had to defend that thing with a massive population center. Everything's bunched in. That's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Like, why would you allow if you were a competent general, why would you allow someone at the political level to put your troops in that level of harm when the obvious decision for somebody who doesn't even have any operational experience would be let's Withdraw from this nice, well-protected, isolated part of Afghanistan so that we can make this uh, seamless kind of exit. Yeah. And that's not what happened. But to the guys, I know people who watch this are off to double check, but my understanding is that the, the commander had resigned before huh. all this happened because he saw it coming. It's a, it's yeah. not like we didn't see this coming, right? You can't just say, oh, in five days, you're out. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, anyway, that I, I think Putin just took that as an input, just saying in terms of the yeah. U.S. is not going to have the will to, yeah. to, to, to do anything about this because just the way it looked, the way it played out, it was just it was a disaster. And yeah. it wasn't a military disaster. It was just a political – and look, I'm not saying we shouldn't have withdrawn from Afghanistan. Yeah. I'm saying the way that we did it was – of staggering incompetence. Huh. So,
1: yeah, it probably could have been handled. Better. I'll admit, I'll admit that.
0: Yeah, like I said, but I like one choice, you just yeah. choose the. When I heard it, like when I heard Kabul was the last airport open, I'm like, what the f? Like, who made that decision? Like, I don't know. the the only thing that I can think of is that I
1: don't know. There, there had to have been a reason. But you know what? I'm just an E7, man. I don't <laughs> I, I honestly I,
0: I, I think it was like troop levels. I think it was just like we need more troops to defend Bagram and we need to be at it like some yeah. diplomat negotiated some force level with the Taliban yeah. that they had to hit.
1: The other thing could just be that we were just hoping that things would, would work out up until the end. Because like like I said, like when things go wrong, they go wrong real fast.
0: Ryan, hope is a political word, it's not a military,
1: yeah right, yeah, the so. the collapse was so rapid, it's absolutely
0: insane
1: how fast that
0: collapse happened, but were you surprised by? It? I wasn't surprised at all uh,
1: I think, so I was never in Afghanistan, but I knew a lot of people who were there were some Afghans who wanted us there. There were some Afghans who wanted to try to make a better country. There were some Afghans who were in the army because it was a paycheck. I don't know. Was I surprised? I think I I thought it would take longer than it did. And I thought they had a fighting chance because, speaking to Iraqis, like every Iraqi policeman or IA, Iraqi army, or the marshals, Every single one of them hated Saddam. They hated the foreigners that were in their country causing trouble, because for the most part, it wasn't Iraqis that were killing Americans. It yeah, was Syrians and it, it wasn't yeah, Syrians, Chechens.
0: By the way, in uh, Afghanistan too, che- well, not just mostly, but Chechens and Uyghurs in I Afghanistan.
1: I heard that Chechens, every time a Chechen would try to go to Afghanistan, they would get killed by the Afghans because they're like, we don't want you here either, you know? But I mean, so, maybe that's just soldiers being flippant, right?
0: Well, my friends uh, I had said that they, would, they never found a, a living Chechen. They would always find these redheaded bodies. Yeah. Um, because, the, I mean, look,
1: probably killed by the Afghans. Like, they just want to be alone. Yeah, or,
0: well, or, or the Chechens have a reputation too, like yeah. for just tenaciousness. Oh, yeah. And
1: but the Chechens. So one of the interesting things about the Russian army was that in Russia for the longest time. You tried to avoid military service because then you were going to get drafted. You are going to have to go through the of China. That was not a, a fun experience. The rule of the grandfathers, where you get hazed. You could be mm-hmm. sent to some, you know, gun. but Chechens in the caucuses, anyone who comes to the caucuses, like military service is considered a point of pride. Like that's your manhood. So you have, Chechens volunteered. And it's one of the reasons I think the Russian army just got their, their butts handed to them in Grozny because the Chechens were like, come oh. into my dens and the spider apply, well, fly, right?
0: Uh, uh, until they leveled it. <laughs> right. until I, I, actually, leveled
1: I wrote a paper uh, about that for the army, God, back in the, the early 2000s. Yeah, they had, literally, Russia had to go block by block. I think it's probably what we would have saw in Kyiv. If the Russians had the training, it would have taken
0: months, months. Well, not only that, I mean, I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into a little bit. I guess I can talk about it. I just won't show images of it. But when the Russians would come into Grozny in the morning, they would have to pass through these stakes with the heads of Russian soldiers on them. I wasn't aware of that. The Chechens also would aim at the yeah. groin. Right, and the reason was is a it's you humiliating and demoralizing, but B it's also just it doesn't kill you, but it just sends you back with a crippling injury. The other thing they would do is in the buildings they would hang out the live and dead bodies of Russian soldiers, so that the Russians would have to shoot their own Mm -hmm. to get at the Chechens. So they are ruthless, ruthless soldiers.
1: I haven't heard that. I, I interviewed a couple of Russian soldiers for this paper back in the, in the early 2000s. And one of them, he was telling me how he got off of, like, they basically, in a way, it's kind of funny, but essentially, they put him in a train. And almost like the, the oh, scene yeah. from Mimi at the Gates, although there are problems with that movie's accuracy. They basically put all these soldiers in a train, and they let him out, and there was no officer on the train with them. And so these conscripts were wandering around. And this old woman, this old Chechen woman, came up to them and started yelling at them, you know, why are you here? Go home. And the guy's like, I don't even know where to am. Oh, yeah. When
0: they first invaded, because they didn't even know they were invading.
1: Where they're going, they didn't tell them what they were supposed to be doing. And this woman's yelling at him, and he's like, I don't know where I am. But he also said that, and this kind of struck like, oh my God, you had baker units. So, one of the things he told me was that his officers said that everyone was going to get an extra thousand calories a day because they had to fight in the cold. And they actually had baking units like that's your MOS, you're a baker or your military occupational specialty, your job is baker. They actually had these field kitchen baking units that were baking but they couldn't get the bread to the front line and so the bread was just getting thrown out such a waste you know like and just the thought that you have i mean actually the idea of fresh bread sounds great but i've actually i've had russian bread before and it's crazy like the first day it's amazing and the day later because there's no preservatives you could use it as a hammer you know like it's hard as a rock and i I even remember i was a kid my friend Charlie, his brother was an embassy Marine, and he was stationed in Russia. And I remember it was, like, it was like 1984, and I was in the fourth grade. And Charlie, I was at my friend's house, and his brother called home you know, from Russia. That was a big deal. Back then, like, yeah, the cell phone, you had landline, long distance and all that. And I remember, uh, like, can I talk to your brother? And I was like, you know, like, hey, are the Russians a threat? And he's like, threat? They can't even make milk. <laughs> it's apparently, like all of their milk, and this is in 1984, like all their milk had to be trucked in from West Germany. All the milk at the embassy had to be trucked in from West Germany because, look, I guess Russian milk wasn't pasteurized, and the embassy said no Marines could drink the milk. So that's just like, wow. I've often said, like, what makes America great, what makes our army powerful is not our Patriot missiles or M1 tanks. It's our logistics. Mm-hmm. I, I was in Egypt. And I remember uh, I was a site commander of this uh, little cop, this combat outpost. And we were on the border between Egypt and Israel, and our job was to make sure that the peace treaty was being enforced between the two countries.
0: Were you in the 101st Airborne when this? No,
1: mission? no, no. I remember that when that happened, though, when that plane crashed. But uh, no, this has been a rotation mission. It's called the MFO, Multinational Forest and Observers. There were like, well, I think at the time, 13 or 17 different nations, like Norway is part of the MFO. Japan is part of the MFO, Colombia, Uruguay, Fiji. The New Zealanders are part of the MFO, and their job was to go to each site periodically and just do these snap inspections. And at each site, we had a a kitchen and a cook. It was a military cook, and you'd order food, and the cook would cook the food. And so I got swole there. I was jacked. I had a picture. It was all you had to do. Mm -hmm. I'm a runner, but there was really no place to run unless it was around the wire. So we just ate meat and lifted weights, you know? Like, it was – I just spent six months getting like this. Then I came home and was like – Deflated, right? So uh, I remember I was a site commander and we noticed that the previous rotation had left some chicken patties in our freezer and they were about to expire. And well, if the New Zealanders caught you with expired food, that could be a demerit and you could lose your site. You know, they had to do something, right? Like it was, you know, they would also count your ammunition and. You know, stuff. Is it clean? Are you raking for sand fleas? So I remember I was saying to the cook, like, well, let's just let's just cook it all. And I remember for like two days straight, we had chicken patties for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And after like the third day, I was like, dude, I'm sick of these chicken patties. I'm, like, I'm just I'm going to give them to the Egyptians across the street. And this is like middle of nowhere. There's our cop, and then right across the street, there's like this Egyptian border guard building. I remember I was, I, I on the a big shwaya shwaya, and they, these guys could speak a little English, and so I, I got the chicken patties, put them in a bag, and walked across the street and I was talking with the guys, and and yeah, you know, I told them like, hey, it was the chicken. They wanted to make sure it wasn't pork. I'm like no, oh, it's chicken. Mm-hmm. And they were so happy because every day the Egyptian first sergeant would stop by in the morning in a van and drop off a bag of rice and vegetables, and that was your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They had a 55-gallon drum that they would fill up periodically with water, every week, I think, with water. And they had like this old black and white TV with like a coat hanger as an antenna as their entertainment. Meanwhile, back on our site, we had satellite TV, two different kinds of satellite TV. Some, not all, but some of our buildings are air-conditioned, like our talk was air-conditioned. We had a day room that was air conditioned. We had like Bunt movies, you know, like on DVD and VHS. We had a VHS player, DVD player. We had an Xbox, like first generation Xbox. Like we had all this stuff. And you know, I gave the I gave the chicken patties to them, and they they kind of told me that they only got meat when they rotated back to their main base. And even then, it was what they called. I guess what they called army meat. like That's kind of how I took their translation army meat, which I guess was meat that had been rejected by their equivalent of the USDA. Oh, that's nice. In Egypt, if your meat the best. is rejected for public sale because it's tainted or it's whatever, you can still sell it to the army. So we had more chicken patties. Than we could possibly eat halfway across the world. And the Egyptians couldn't even feed their own people in their own country.
0: That's logistics.
1: That's logistics.
0: Like, All right. One last question because we're, we're like going yes. way, way over long. And then we got to continue the discussion. So you're the Russians. Well, actually, no, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for the next okay. one. Ukrainian manpower, actually, it's not manpower anymore, but just soldiers to fight this thing we don't hear anything about it in the media i'm hearing informally that whatever collection method people use to hear low-level radio transmissions and things like that they're hearing an increase in polish language huh. french and british english mm-hmm. so what I think may be happening. And again, I have not dived into this issue and really done the analysis. And I don't think it's any mystery, but I think the Ukrainians are getting dangerously low on manpower right now. Mm -hmm. And I think they're using, you know, Polish, you know, third party, either mercenaries or elements of the Polish military are informally involved. So again, I haven't seen any of this stuff on the internet, so I don't know how true it is, but what are your thoughts on Ukrainian military strength right now?
1: I don't know. From the people on the ground that I've talked to, it doesn't seem like it's that much of an issue, but most of the people that I talk to can only see out 300 yards. Right? They don't have the big picture. Ukraine can raise an army of about a million people if they use women. Mm -hmm. Russia will always have a manpower advantage. It's like three to one. A lot of those people are not going to want to fight or they'll they'll get into situations where they'll try to avoid fighting if they can. The Polish thing, that's a tough one because I would assume that anybody fighting would be using encrypted frequency hopping radios. So you're not gonna know whether you're hearing Polish or not.
0: So that's well, some of some of it it could be the International Legion, right? Yeah, I, with...
1: I can tell you I I've said before, I think the only reason that the US is in Poland is to prevent the Poles from going north and kicking Russia's ass. The Poles are not to be messed with. Like these I I, I know a number of them. They're they're on my Discord channel. And I, I actually I was surprised at the rate of gun ownership in Poland, number one. But number two, it's almost like in Poland, it's fashionable to be part of the National Guard now, or their equivalent of the National Guard, their territorial army. Like it, it's a thing. Like it's cool now to be in the military. And I, I can definitely see some people who are like, let's head over there. Let's get ours in, you know? Let me get keep in that on that
0: comment. World. Keep that comment in your head about it's fashionable to be in the military because I have something to add in the next episode.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thank you very much, my friend, and I look forward to talking to you again.
1: Thank you so much, Sean.
0: If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.